Hey, tonight, actually, let me tell you what's going to, when I, when I say what I'm about to say, I would love for you to respond with emotion. And, and the emotion I would love for you to respond with is joy and thanksgiving and gratitude. Deal? Okay, tonight, at our 715 service, we are celebrating baptisms. Come on! Y'all, we have nine of our family from our various congregations being baptized in the name of Jesus as they identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and King, Jesus Christ. And that is worth celebrating. So that's what we're doing tonight. But before we do that, I'm going to share a brief word. The goal of the word is to encourage you and inspire you that your Christian life wasn't done at salvation. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking all we have to do is get into the Christian club and that's the fulfillment of God's plan or purpose for me. If I've become a member at Grace Covenant Church, maybe I'm like an extra credit Christian. But I want to encourage us today that God has a a plan for us. He's not done with us at salvation, but he has a plan for us to walk out our salvation in fear and trembling as he sanctifies us to prepare us for this glorious inheritance that I'll touch on at the very end. Our verse today, we're going to be looking, I'm going to verse you, as Pastor Pastor Germain said, I'm going to verse you uh, from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the Lord, or the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify For himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, awake us to the reality of the plan that you have for us, the season that you have us in, and your goal for it. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace of God has appeared for what purpose? For the purpose of bringing salvation to all people, to those who would call on the name of Jesus. The grace of God has been made evident, and it was made evident to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God saw fit seeing man suffering under the weight of sin and death and condemnation to condescend and come down and live among man to take to take. Uh, to take note of what it is like to live this human existence, but also to show us what it looks like for God to live in a man, what it looks like for perfect godly living to exist. The idea of God was distant and kind of future and, and separate. They knew God as powerful. They knew him as faithful. They knew him as, uh, as a covenant-keeping God. They knew him as one who saw, not just now, but into the future. But in Jesus Christ, he was going to show us what God looks like in the flesh. And that's what he came to do. And in that, he brought salvation to us by dying the death we should have died, uh, living the life we should have lived, dying the death we should have li- died, and then rising from the dead. But there's another purpose to this grace that came, to this grace that comes to us. And that other purpose is for training. Paul is telling Titus that the grace of God isn't just for salvation, but it's for your life after salvation as well. 
to prepare you for something even greater that's coming. Training us to renounce ungodliness. The word train here speaks to a forceful training, the way that a parent would train a child. The way a parent would train a child to not touch the outlets. Anybody who's got kids knows what that battle is like. Just as soon as they can crawl, as soon as they can walk, as soon as they can figure out the size of their little fingers and the size of those little holes on the wall, they try and get over to that outlet and make it fit together. It's like the first puzzle they figure out, and it's the worst puzzle to figure out. And no parent sits by and goes, oh, go ahead and let them do it. They'll learn. If anything, it's the first time that a parent is forceful with their child. Because the parent knows that if the child makes connection with this thing, that it's going to be devastating to that child. And so it's oftentimes the first place where a parent moves from, oh, no, 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 Johnny, that would, that would just be bad. Into the more forceful realm of no. Johnny, don't do that. A proper spanking for a nine-month-old. Johnny, don't do that. And by grace, you draw near to that child and steer them away from a thing that would otherwise destroy them, that would otherwise bring damage to them, potentially even death to them. So Johnny, don't do that. We come near by grace because we want to lead them to something better. The power of God appears to us. The grace of God appears to us in power to free us from things that would otherwise destroy us. And the Holy Spirit teaches us to renounce ungodliness. I had to make a confession last night to our singles ministry. Um, I, uh, I had gone out. I, I had gone out. I was feeling kind of just anxious about some things. And, and um, you know, some people, you know, they run to alcohol or, or cigarettes or you know, a relationship. Uh, I, I have a thing for melted cheese. I just, I was just like, I know it'll cure my anxiety right now. Some melted cheese. I was sitting in the lobby of the, of the, of the church and just kind of like, oh, how am I going to get all this stuff done? I know how I'll get it done. I'll go get nachos instead of doing the things that I was supposed to be doing. And Megan, I got to confess to you, my wife is here tonight, that that I wasn't hungry when I came home because I went, and <laughs> I went and got the worst form of nachos. Family, I, I went to Taco Bell. Now, before you judge me, before you judge me, just consider your own life for a moment and take the speck out, take the log out of your eye before trying to remove my speck. But I went to Taco Bell, and I found out that they have a new thing on their menu. It's like a nacho box. And I was like, this needs to happen. I didn't stumble into this sin. I was sitting... I was sitting in the lobby at that one of those little round tables where you were fellowshipping over godly things just a few moments ago. And that idea came to me, and I packed up my computer, and I wrapped my bag really on purpose, and I 
cleaned up my papers and put my pens in. I said goodbye to Miss Ethel sitting at the front desk. Bye, Miss Ethel. I'm going to sin right now. (laughs) And I got in my car and I started my car and I drove and I waited in line (laughs) thinking about how I was about to sin. And then I came back to the church and and Miss Ethel's like, oh, you're back. I was like, yeah. Let's not talk about what happened. I'm ashamed. (laughs) I felt a certain level of conviction and a certain level of sickness. And my my body just was like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? And the bad feeling trains me to not do it again. (laughs) Hopefully. By the grace of God, I was like, my joints are going to hurt in the morning to the singles ministry. I did not go to the gym as I expected because my body was like, that's not fuel for anything except for death. That's what that'll help you do. Just die, not work out. But we need to keep going. Um, Feelings of conviction come from the Holy Spirit in order to train us. So I know that what we want from God is for him to yes and amen all of our ideas and all of our desires. The problem is with our desires is that our brain, our flesh, our sinfulness doesn't oftentimes come up with an alternative to that that yearning that we have in our soul to do the wrong thing. My soul did not say, let's go get nachos. No, David, let's go eat the banana that's just 30 feet away. You don't have to pack your bag or do anything. There's oranges in there that would feed you quite well and give you energy to do the things that are in front of you. My soul didn't produce that answer for me because my soul didn't want an alternative to the sin that I desired. My soul, my, my flesh, or I guess my, my flesh didn't want the alternative. My flesh wanted the sin. But then conviction comes to train us not to do it again. So when you've stumbled and you've lost your cool or you've, got, you've, you've, you've strayed or you've used language or you've, you've taken something you shouldn't take or you've thought about something you shouldn't think and you've, you've coveted something that's not yours, you've moved to a place of pride or self-righteousness and the Holy Spirit convicts you and says, hey, you're out of bounds. You're like, God, why can't you just make me feel good? He's like, I'm keeping you away from the outlet. The grace of God appears to us to give us the power to say no because otherwise it would hurt us deeply. Not as a matter of the law, but out of his love, he teaches us to say no. By the power of the Spirit, he gives us the grace to swipe left on ungodliness. If you're snickering, you told on yourself. We can swipe left on ungodliness and worldly passions. Two fairly intentionally broad categories that Paul captures all kinds of sinfulness and fleshly ideas and deeds and thoughts and mindsets and perspectives that include drunkenness, unforgiveness, selfish ambition, that that includes... uh, Levaciousness and sensuality. It includes, it, it includes those benign addictions like nachos, which falls under the ungodliness. And the more serious things, like your thought life and a, and a thought life of hatred or unforgiveness, the more serious things of pride and covetousness. 
It includes not just the things that we do, but the things that we meditate on doing that never get accomplished through us. Because he's so deeply concerned with our forever, he doesn't let us stay there for even a short amount of time. It's not just a matter of saying no to sin, but it's about the grace of God appearing so that we can make another decision. There was a time before you were saved that the only thing that you could do was say yes to sin. There was a time when all you could do is is accept and pursue what is wrong as being right. But God, according to his great riches and mercy towards us, has given us the power by the Holy Spirit and the grace that comes to us, the ability to say no to ungodliness and and no to, uh, to unrighteousness and say yes to a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. The grace of God comes to us powerfully to swipe right or righteously. (laughs) Right? To purity, uprightness, and self-control that produce the good works that we were designed for in the very beginning in the first place. The struggle against sin and temptation is real. But what is even more real is the grace of God that draws near to us to instruct us in our yes. The grace of God that appears to us to instruct us in our obedient yes to Jesus to say, I'm going to follow you where you would have me go for your purposes in this this world, in my life instead of the direction that my temptations would otherwise drift me and drag me off into. We're taught by the grace of God to walk in righteousness, and it's not unlike watching a child learn to walk. In the beginning, for those of you who are entering a relationship with Jesus and being baptized in water, it's a process of, of learning how to put one faith step in front of the other faith step. One, yes, Jesus, in front of the next, yes, Jesus, in front of the next, yes, Jesus. And as, as you learn and as you grow in the community of believers, what happens is people are going to come around you and cheer for you and inspire you along in your walk. That's your job today, family, is to inspire and encourage them along in their walk. But it's also your responsibility to one another, to inspire and encourage one another in you all's walk. And you say, yeah, you're walking well. You're walking strong. It's getting better. Your pace is picking up. You're stronger. You're more upright than you used to be. Sometimes you see a brother or sister walking like this, just looking down and defeated and dejected. And they know how to move their legs, but they don't know how to stand in the weight of what they're holding. And so you say, stand up when you walk. Pick up your head. Stand up straight and let God bear the weight for you. And let's walk in this together. Sometimes when you're walking together, what you do is you see, I see you carrying a weight that's too big for you. Let me come alongside of you and let me help carry this burden that, you, that you've been carrying for too long because it's too much for you to do alone. Learning to walk isn't just a, a baby's game. It's a, it's a child's game. It's a teenager's game. It's an adult's game. To come alongside someone and learn, help them know how to walk in every season of life. I'm thankful for the men and women of Grace Covenant Church who have helped me all throughout my life learn what it means to walk as a child of God. 
as a middle schooler and then as a high schooler and then as a college student and then as a married man and then as a father and as an employee and as a pastor and as a minister and as a friend, as a brother, as, as, as someone who's, who, as an encourager, as, a, as just a peer. And that's what the body affords us. But it's not just an exercise for the sake of the exercise. It's not just saying no to ungodliness and yes to righteousness for the sake of no's and yeses. He does this to prepare us to receive an inheritance of the blessing appearance of Christ. At salvation, he's not done yet. When he died on the cross, was buried and rose from the dead. That wasn't the end of the story. He's coming again. Do you, do you know, like, I know we don't, we don't talk about it all the time on Sunday morning and the churches that do, it can kind of get carried away and swept off into that kind of place. And you're like, when's he coming back? Let's chart it out. Let's, let's map it. Let's figure it out. Even though the Bible says you're not going to figure it out. We're like, I see what you say, Bible, but I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> this map will... Solve it. Nobody's done this chart before. <laughs> pastor Brett's my pastor. I'll figure it out. But Jesus is coming back. He's coming back as a groom for his bride. And the bride that he's, he's coming back for is beautiful. Without blemish, without stain, without wrinkle. She's been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. She's been trained by the grace of God to say no to unrighteousness and to say yes to purity in God's righteousness. She walks closely and unified with herself in anticipation of his coming. Saying no to unrighteousness, knowing that with every no, our yes muscle gets stronger and stronger. And with every yes to righteousness, our no muscle gets weaker and weaker so that we can be be prepared for Christ to return, create a new heaven and a new earth in which we'll dwell and live with him forever. So when when you find yourself trying to decide, do I swipe left or do I swipe righteousness? It's not just a decision for today, but it's a decision in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back, anticipating his bride, anticipating your purity and holiness, anticipating your worship, anticipating your joy, anticipating your celebration of his coming. And that's what he invites us into not just at salvation. He's not done yet. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you're not done yet. We invite you to come, Holy Spirit, and convict us of unrighteousness in our life. Jesus, right now in this moment, I believe that you're pressing on things in our hearts and minds that have dishonored you where we've said yes to unrighteousness, you're, you're revealing that to us. 
God, in this moment, we don't shy away from the feeling of conviction, the feeling of sickness or sorrow for what we've done. But God, we, we ask that you would give us the faith to lean into that and respond. Holy Spirit, we repent for our deliberate rebellion against you. For thinking that you were done with us at salvation. For thinking that we had to do it on our own. For not recognizing your grace that appears to train us in godliness. That trains us to say no to ungodliness. If there's anybody here today and you've you've been far from Jesus. You've been far from him. In your actions, you've been far from him. In your heart, you've been far from him in your life. And you want to come near to him today. You want to surrender your life to him and receive the salvation that comes when he draws near. Can you raise your hands? I want to pray with you. It's great. When you put your hands up, you can put them back down. Bless the Lord. If you raised your hand, you can pray this with me. It's not the raising of your hand that brings salvation, but the grace of God being poured out to you. It's the faithful declaration of your dependence on him. It signals and signifies your trust in his salvation and, and not your own version of salvation. So Father, and then pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I acknowledge, I recognize that I've been living life according to my own way. I hear your voice drawing me back to you. I surrender my life to you. I turn from everything that I know to be sin. And I turn to receive your gift of righteousness, your gift of salvation. And I invite your Holy Spirit to come and teach me what it means to walk in godliness, to deny, to reject to turn away from ungodliness and fully embrace the life of righteousness that you have for me in Jesus' name.